0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control or Delete. My guest today is the wonderful Emily Weiss, the founder of Glossier, who after cultivating a passionate community of beauty lovers on her website into the gloss, she saw an opportunity to create a new beauty experience and some beauty products that celebrate and speak to the customer directly. In 2014, Glossier was born. It is a digital first beauty company with a mission to give voice through beauty. Glossier was really the first beauty company that spoke to me as someone who loves beauty, but I also care more about sort of skincare over and above, I would say, straight up beauty products. And Glossier's philosophy is skin first, makeup second since launching glossier has introduced 36 products opened two permanent stores in new york and la and it's brought temporary pop-up shops across six cities it's also raised 186 million dollars in venture capital funding and welcomed millions of customers into the glossier stores i recently popped into the new york flagship store when i was there And it was amazing. The atmosphere was buzzing. It kind of reminded me of when the Abercrombie & Fitch shop opened in London in like the early noughties where everyone went wild for it. And it actually averages over 50,000 visitors a month in the store. And it was busy, but it was also just really fun to be in there trying out all the products IRL. Emily was in London and I managed to grab some time with her for this podcast because Glossier London has opened on 13 Floral Street. It's there till February. It's in Covent Garden. Uh, So definitely go and check it out and get some Christmas presents for yourself and for others. It was a real highlight for this podcast getting Emily on. She really is a true trailblazer and she's built an empire and it was just so exciting getting to talk to her about everything that she has done and how she works and how she spends her time off and how she's a boss and how she makes it all work day to day. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you did, please do go leave a rating or a review on iTunes. It seriously, seriously helps podcasters when you do that. So thank you in advance. So without further ado, here is the episode with Emily. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so thrilled. This is like two years in the making. I've been persistent. <laughs> I've been like, well, something that you always say that you should be. Before we start, I just wanted to thank you so, so much for the stretch concealer. Of course. It is. Oh, you like literally it? Literally my desert island product. And if I, if I leave the house without it, I just feel kind of less of a person. Um, well, I have you, here's the big question. Have you tried it over future do? Because apparently Stretch
1: Concealer buffed into Future Do is where it's at now. Okay,
0: I need that. Yeah. But you get this a lot, don't you? Like people coming up to you and being like, that one product has just changed how I feel. Honestly, it happens for all of them. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on what and who. Exactly. Yeah. So I wrote a book last year uh, that celebrated side hustles. And I think sometimes they can get a bad rap because it's like, oh, you're telling me to do more work. But actually... So many amazing things come from those times where we do it on the side, because you kind of have to, you can't just like quit your job immediately. And I wondered, do you use the term side hustle for when you kind of started out? I mean, sure, I def- I'm i sure
1: I've said that before. But yeah, I mean, starting out, it was like, you know, me in my apartment. And so I guess it was Nolita in New York. It was 2010. Um, I was a fashion assistant at Vogue. So I was like, you know, schlepping clothes on racks in and out of this office. I had a great boss there named Elisa Santisi. And I went in to work one day and said, Hey, Elisa, I think I'm going to start a beauty blog. Is that okay? And she said, yeah, I don't care. Sure. I don't, even, I don't even know what that is. This was a long, you know, really long time ago. And then I bought a camera for like $750, which was like probably the most expensive thing I've ever bought. And then I asked, um... Like, a photographer to teach me how to use it. It was actually, like, a photo assistant, I think, of, like, Terry Richardson's maybe. And he taught me how to use it and bought into the com URL for, like, $30. And I think basically between the idea and then the first post going up, it was maybe, like, four weeks. I mean, it was very, very quick, mm-hmm. which is great, the internet. If you're building, you know, a digital product or something for online, now, of course, you can do a post in two seconds um, on stories or on Instagram. But back then, um, it was really crazy, this idea of telling people's beauty stories. That just wasn't really happening. Everybody was talking about what was happening from kind of the neck down, um, like personal style and street style and, you know, all of that. Nobody was really talking about what was happening from the sort of neck up Mm. and – how people were kind of living with beauty and learning about beauty and learning about it through other people and kind of designing their own routine. And um and the top shelf, which is one of those marquee features on Into the Gloss, went into people's medicine cabinets before really anybody was doing that. Everybody was at the time was kind of saying, like, real quick, what's in your bag? And it would be mm-hmm. like, you know, like five products with like one sentence. And these were these epic, like, New Yorker-length yeah. Profiles at a time when everyone said, nobody's gonna read these long friggin', you know, essays on the internet. People are busy, they're not like interested in reading long form online. And that just could not have been further from the truth.
0: And was that 2010? That was in 2010, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was like the real boom of blogging, I feel. Exactly. Like. And you would totally. have like all your bookmarks. And I remember having, yeah. like on my blog, you'd have like the blog roll and like yep. all the ones that you yep. would recommend. And yep. I kind of miss those days of reading long form articles. Yeah. So that's um, that was really uh, just such an amazing
1: introduction to both where beauty was at at the time, both from a, you know, like people perspective, just how do people feel about products and brands and companies. And then from also a company perspective, because I was working with all of these advertisers. So like the big seven conglomerates, like the big, you know, every giant beauty brand and company you can think of to come up with, you know, um, custom content that would resonate with millennials and Uh, And so I got to really understand how those companies were thinking about millennials or thinking Mm -hmm. about, you know, the younger generation and and how they would need to change how they communicated, you know, with them in order for it to resonate. And it was really interesting because at the time I remember certain companies would say, oh, yeah, we're not going to hire a social media editor. We're not having an Instagram account. Like, that's just not what we're going to do thinking I was thinking like ooh that's mm. that's going to be tough cuz this is there's only one way this is all going yeah. and that is to completely democratize everything including beauty and Expertise and the idea of many voices recommending things, or many voices talking about best and what's best and what products are best, and not just one voice from on high saying, This is what you should do, or This is how you should
0: look. Yeah, I think there was such a snobbery around uh, social media, especially like at these mainstream magazines. But I've heard you talk a lot about design being so important, and that's totally obvious when you look at the amazing, beautiful packaging and what you've created. The design the design drew me in and then I was like I actually love what's inside this bottle but was that always important to you from from the very beginning?
1: Yeah absolutely I mean you know a couple of sort of the founding principles when we decided you know to build Glossier it was a couple years into you know into the gloss it was like 2012 and I had had two years of sitting on you know hundreds of cold tiled bathroom floors of women kind of all all over the world like You know, it could be Kim Kardashian in Calabasas at her house or this girl who has pink hair who I met at the coffee shop who, you know, was like a barista who I just Mm -hmm. thought had amazing, you know, pink hair and talked Mm -hmm. to her and said this needs to be written somewhere, you know, photographed and kind of come out somewhere. People need to know. They need to know about this. And I realized as I was sitting there, I sort of said, like. Why is there not a beauty brand whose sweatshirt you want to wear? As I was going through all these products and people were saying, I love XYZ mascara, but I don't love XYZ brand. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really – they wouldn't even say that. It was just apparent. It was just like, well, I bet you if another person came along with a different mascara that was cuter or cheaper or better, this person would probably just switched to that one. Like, there's nothing that's, you know, keeping them mm-hmm. sort of – they didn't feel like they are in a relationship, right, with um, kind of the lifestyle that something like one of these brands might promote. And so when you talk about design, that was also really clear to me as part of the thesis of kind of like, well, why isn't there a brand new sweatshirt you want to wear? And that has to do with much more than just, obviously, everything starts with how good is the product, right? And what is inside? And what is the effect? And what is this doing for me and my face? And that has to be perfect, right? Like, there's nothing. You can have the cutest design in the world, but if your product's crappy, then It doesn't matter. But, you know, for us, it was always about a combination of things. It was the design, the product being amazing, creating these really ubiquitous essential products that are going to kind of form the backbone to everybody's routine. So what are the things that are like never run out, have in your shower at all times, have in your makeup kit at all times, whether that's Boy Brow or Milky Jelly Cleanser. You know, these Mm -hmm. are like really hardworking, amazing, like basic products. Yeah. But then also, how do you build in amazing aesthetic design, right? Packaging, um, branding, collateral, whether it's the sticker sheets that we originally had or the um, pink pouches, um, shopping bags. Mm -hmm. I mean, the full experience, the stores, the store experience, the way each one is unique to each city. and each kind of culture and community, um, and really everything ladders up to creating like a whole world. It's really this like world through glossy colored glasses that we, we think about. And that also includes at the sort of heart of it all, what are your values? Like what are your values as a company, your values as a brand? Because brands today, I think, are like people, you know, and people expect the brands they engage with to – They want to know what they stand for. And so for us, you know, inclusivity is something we hear all the time, both, you know, something we talk about all the time internally and helps us make decisions. And also externally we hear from people, you know, I just feel so like it's for me. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm a part of it and that's also part of the decision to be totally direct to consumers instead of going into, you know, big department stores or going to, you know, stores on the corner because then we wouldn't be able to have a relationship with you and and we wouldn't be able to give you this amazing one-to-one experience that we can being digital first and mm-hmm. and kind of anchored online.
0: This brand does care about me because they're sticking to their like their moral decision that they they first set out to do. But it's amazing what you've done because I don't think many people can do it or have done it because i mean i never wear anything with a logo on really like i, I just i just wouldn't and yet i wear my glossier uh, gray sweatshirt like all the time like to the point where i'm like why do i feel so happy in this like what have you done and it's honestly like the only thing i kind of wear but i wondered how much of glossier do you think is just down to you as a person because i don't think and I don't know, because obviously I'm only going with what is there, but I definitely got into it via you. Like, I liked you, and then I followed the brand. And I wonder, do you find that? Like, do, do people follow both? Yeah, it's it's a really, it's I find this whole, this question so endlessly
1: fascinating because, number one, I'm an introvert. Number two, we now have, like, millions of customers all around the world. And we have, you know... million Instagram followers as of, what, November 2019, and like, you know, millions and millions of customers. And a lot of them don't have no idea. I would say most of them have no idea who I am or that I'm the CEO. And I think that actually that's really great. And that's really important because there's a reason it's called Glossier and it's not called Emily Weiss. If you look at some other brands, whether it's makeup brands, They're very much the person's point of view and the person's vision, whether that's Charlotte Tilbury, Francois Nars, Bobby Brown, uh, Mm Tori Birch, Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, right? Like you think about all these brands and it's very much about that person's point of view. Whereas how I've always seen myself is as a listener and sort of a alchemizer of like information and listening and really being able to discern from people what needs to happen next. Mm-hmm. You know, what what products need to happen next, what stores need to happen next, what digital experiences need to happen next. That to me has always been the most interesting. It's not necessarily what does Emily think, because Emily's not a makeup artist. Emily's mm-hmm. not a makeup you know, she I'm not If you've signed off, I'm like, it must be great. Like it's that trust. Well yeah, I mean sure. And I think I definitely, you know, I was a beauty blogger for years, which is essentially a beauty editor, right? And years and years, and I've loved beauty my whole life. I mean, I used to be the girl in high school who would do all my friends' makeup before dances, and I used to just love, you know, going to the, like original, original Stila counter back when Janine Lobel was uh, founded Stila. She's not there anymore, and it's been sold a couple times. But I'll never forget those early packaging and, you know, the whimsy of it and and just the amazing, whether it's the lip glazes or the, you know, the products that she was making. So I'm a total beauty, you know like obsessive and sort of purist in the sense that I love to know and to understand what the best of something is. But I'm also well aware that the best mascara for me might not be the best mascara for you. I might like long, shiny, really well-defined eyelashes. You might like thick, you know, volume, really full eyelashes. And not one mascara does both things. And I think that's a really important distinction today because we came from a 100 years of the beauty industry saying, here's exactly, you know, the look for everyone or mm. here's exactly the way to do XYZ thing that, like, you must have. And today I think we recognize that Everyone gets to decide what's best for themselves. And at Glossier, we really want to encourage that and that routine building and that self-discovery and the information sharing that leads to people really sitting up and feeling proud of wherever they're at. Like Mm -hmm. proud of whatever it is you've learned, whichever color of lipstick that you've found that you just love, you know, and then the conversations and the relationships that get built through the lens of beauty through the sort of sharing of routines or sharing of um, like quote unquote what is best mm-hmm. but yeah for me you know very few people sort of come up to me even when I'm in a store like I kind of just walk invisibly through our stores that's
0: so interesting because I, 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 I imagine you like getting mobbed but then like you say that they are separate things mm-hmm. you either know or you don't I guess your story is just so inspiring like the fact that you did just build this like in the middle of the night, literally at the very beginning. And also the percentage, I think I heard you say on a podcast last year, is it 4% of women get funding? 2.2% of venture capital dollars went to female
1: founders in 2018.
0: Wow. Yeah. Because when I I want to buy a brand that I genuinely want to support, like it matters to me now. Yeah, I mean, that matters to like... It matters to a lot of I people. think it's over
1: like 80% of consumers globally say that they, you know it really matters to them what a brand stands for and, you know, how a brand operates or who they are when they're Mm -hmm. making purchasing decisions. So I think that's, like I said earlier, I think brands and companies are like people. And if, you know, if you look at kind of, I've spent a lot of time thinking about being very curious about why that is, just as a consumer myself, yeah. right? I'm also out there following, you know, brands on Instagram, companies on Instagram, making decisions every day about the things I'm, you know, buying or the brands I'm engaging with. And I think what's so interesting is that in the US, for example, I don't know what it is in the UK, but it's something like a third of Americans don't trust the government and it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democratic it doesn't, or independent, people don't trust that the gov- the government, right? And that they're making decisions that, you know, are aligned with their interests. And so if you look at that and then you look at kind of what's happened with globalization and so many young people having um, kind of mobility in the, you know, in, in America to sort of move or to have, you know, all different jobs or things like that, there's been this kind of lost, sort of um what's the word like people who are really searching to latch on to a new system of belief mm. right like maybe their people are not you know growing up as much with organized religion or they're not growing up as much with um or they're deciding to you know that they don't believe what maybe they've been taught and so people are really um, I think, thirsty and hungry for things like community and sort of sets of values. And I think that's you can also look at the rise of astrology. If you look at the last five years in terms of the popularity of things like that, it makes sense. It does. I mean, it makes sense why, you know, yoga became really popular in the 90s. And it makes sense why SoulCycle, you know, became really popular as, you know, an organized class that, you know, really... I've never been to a soul cycle class, so I don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like it's a very, you know, motivational,
0: pep-talking kept kept
1: each, each other kind of experience. And so, um, you know, we have a, a, a global community of people who I think are really excited about, you know, using their voice and, and telling their stories. And um, we really want to encourage that.
0: I love that. And I and people have definitely paired the rise in anxiety with the with the lack of trust in the world right now. It's like young people just can feel like, well, the grown ups don't know what they're doing, so help, right? Help. right. Um, but that's why I would never kind of um, belittle like the YouTube culture because I feel like just that immediate like, oh, do you follow this person? Yeah, I do as well. And mm-hmm. then the immediate friendship, like I know that you say people make friends mm-hmm. in the stores all the time. Absolutely, is lovely. So I just want to ask you quickly, actually, about influencers, but, but not in the way, I guess, people think of it. Because I know that you really care about the word of mouth and your friend recommending something and not necessarily following these people with like 10 million followers necessarily. Because you don't really partner with mainstream celebrities or anything like that. You never have.
1: No, not really. I mean, we've we've grown a lot through word of mouth and, you know, going back to kind of that first principle of products being great. If your product is delivering on on its promise, then whether that's a beauty product or that's a, you know, a blender, it hopefully sort of speaks for itself and it Mm -hmm. solves itself. Whether that's, you know, our fragrance, Glossier U that has, you know, I don't know, over four stars on our website. And just if you read through the reviews, it's actually like really funny stories because it's people talking about how they got stopped on the tube or their taxi driver, you know, was like, oh, my God, that's like, what is that fragrance? Um, And... I think the the word of mouth is 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 really important, and great product really facilitates that. We've always believed everyone is an influencer. I mean, it's true.
0: It is. If true, you yeah. think
1: of whether you have ten Instagram followers and it's your immediate family and your friends, or you have three hundred Instagram followers, or you have thirty thousand, or three hundred thousand, or three million whatever number of people and whoever those people are who choose every day not to hit unfollow (laughs) following you, they want to know what you are like into or whatever it is that you're posting, whether that's your baby or your restaurant that you went to or your food or your, you know, whatever, your outfit, you are influencing your followers. And so I think, you know, people really understanding that that is mm-hmm. influence and yes. you don't suddenly become influential at x number of people like following you you're influential to to whoever you're interacting with on yes, a daily certainly. basis online and offline um you're influential to people at you know at your office every day we talk a lot at glossier about what energy you bring to work every day are you giving energy in situations or are you taking energy away from situations mm-hmm. whether that's a meeting or problem solving or whatever, you know, and we think a lot about a lot that a lot at our stores. We hire a lot of people from hospitality. A lot of the people who work in Glossier stores have never oh, worked in retail or, you know, have never worked certainly have really very few have, have beauty selling experience. They're not coming out of, you know, Sephora or Boots or, you know, Selfridges or something like that. But they have a certain sort of sense of Um, hospitality like how do we create an amazing engaging um, experience that's going to leave someone feeling so good that when they go to brunch the next day they're going to say oh my god you guys have to go to the glossier store Mm -hmm. it's so cool and it's not about necessarily even well it is about what the products you buy are but that almost is secondary it's like oh my god you have to go to the store you can buy our products online you know yeah, And so I think it's like, it's funny that in the stores, that's the first thing people say is it's like
0: first about the store experience and secondarily about, well, what'd you get, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and also in this time that we're in where the high street is not the same and these shops that have been there for years aren't there anymore. And it's like the the reverse is happening. Mm-hmm. You're building things online and then you're doing you know, the bricks and mortar thing, but for a different reason. Totally. It's g- exactly. And that, you know, being direct to consumer and, and being, having this
1: amazing digital experience um, really enables us to use our imagination in ways that traditional retailers can't. Mm-hmm. So when we approach a city and we think to ourselves, how do we create a, you know, an offline experience? We often think about it like a collaboration with the city. So, okay, Glossier X London what would that look like? And Mm -hmm. that influences... Uh, that local culture or that that tr- those traditions or those hallmarks of you know that place really influence the, d- the design decisions and the, the experience decisions that we make on on the stores mm-hmm. um, whereas if you go you know to our website the thing that I think is most amazing about that is just how high touch we can be if you want so we get you know five dms a minute to glossier and a lot of them are like selfies being like hey what color bl- <laughs> blush should I get so if you can't tell necessarily what blush you should get, which I think we do a really good job of because every day we think to ourselves, how do we solve that shopping for beauty online barrier that's so hard for people of like, how do I make, you know, how can I make a good decision? And we, I think, have made that very clear and very easy um, mm-hmm. and and very pleasurable as opposed to like feeling really overwhelming and stressful, whether that's because somebody is able to identify really fast whether something will work or won't work yes. for them or whether they need more help and they, like, want to write to us and we, you know, get back to them.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's just so – I love that because it also means you're going to buy it again and again and again because you're like, I just know this works yes. and I didn't waste any time. Exactly. I wasn't, like, trialing it for ages. It's like it works exactly. or so it doesn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I always say to the team, like, and we, we talk about a lot, we would rather not make the sale – if someone is not going to like it, and that doesn't mean a product is bad. That just means say that you're someone who wants a really high coverage foundation. You should not buy Glossier Stretch Concealer or Glossier you know, Perfecting Skin Tint. Mm-hmm. They're not high coverage. They're like light to medium coverage. And we don't want anyone to be confused about that. Yeah. We but don't they do want... get
0: rid of eye bags. Yes. I mean, <laughs> the Stretch
1: Concealer is more, I would say, medium coverage, and yeah. that is a really versatile, incredible product that you could use on on spots, on under eyes you, I often use it as a sort of alternative to foundation where I'm not putting it all over yeah. my face but I'm putting it sort of around my nose um, forehead, like you know under my eyes and it's this really creamy sort of brightening kind of concealer so it's, I've it's, never it's had anything flexible. that like
0: moves with you and it's not just like slapping it on Yeah, like so that's, as, a layer. that's why we
1: named it stretch concealer because it's like spanks for your face. It really it's like, is. It really moves with you, it doesn't settle into fine lines it doesn't sort of you know dry out throughout the day it's almost like this like great um elastic kind of product
0: oh it's my fave oh, so quick question on being a boss because i've heard you say in other interviews that and i so agree with this that basically at a workplace in a job you can be anywhere but the actual feeling you get at work is because of your boss and how they treat you and i've never been a boss really to many people um i work very much by myself i'm like a solo person mm-hmm. How do you you be a good boss? You know, it's a good question. I don't know that I have enough –
1: I only have the experience that I have, right? I've only been a CEO one time. I'm a first-time CEO. Before this, I was, like you, working pretty much by myself because I was blogging alone. And then before that, I was an assistant. And before that, I was an intern. So – I'm used to working really hard. I'm used to like really grinding it out. Like that's how I kind of operated from my very first internship through all my first jobs. Um and I've always loved working um and really believe in the power of believe in sort of the the sense of accomplishment that you get from achieve from working towards something or working mm-hmm. in working just even on a on a good day and being like I had a great day. I really Really delivered on whatever XYZ thing that I delivered on and feeling good going home. And that doesn't happen every day. But, you know, that has always felt really good to me, like a a sense of doing a good day of work. But in terms of being a boss, I mean, I have to say it's like no one really teaches you how to be a CEO. I mean, you kind of learn from being one. I think certainly if you, I guess there's probably classes at, on, at business school on how to be a CEO, but I didn't go to business school. I went to art school. So I guess the things that are kind of guiding principles for me, and I don't pretend to be, you know, world's best boss, um, but I, I think the things that I operate by are a really strong sense of belief in our mission and belief in our vision and belief in our values and belief in our customers. And I think I'm a tough boss because I'm relentless about those four things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm relentless about the experience that we are delivering to people at the end of the day. And if the work product, if that experience, you know, disappoints people or we could have done better at it I'm pretty critical of it I'm like hey like you know we got a bummer comment on that a customer didn't think that was a good product or didn't think that was a good experience like how can we how can we do better so I'm I'm definitely definitely have high standards but that's because you know and that's because I I believe in what we're doing and I want to make sure that we continue to break new ground and continue to really make people smile.
0: Yes, I love that. And I remember years ago reading this quote about whether basically being respected over being liked is is always better. You know, like Mm -hmm. in the moment, it's not nice to be like, hey we need to do better but actually at the end of it would you rather than be like oh like she's so nice all the time yeah well that's the thing right like ultimately you know people work at
1: Glossier because it's their lives it's their jobs right it's 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 not about working for me and how much I like them or how much you know I think something like millennials today tend to I think move on every two years on average from like a new place. So it's very different from my parents' generation where my dad worked at the same company for 30 years. So if you're being really honest with yourself, like maybe I'll be the only person who's like, at Glossier for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, and everyone else, this is going to be part of their career mm-hmm. and their career arc. And I think the story of the work they were able to drive or the things they were able to learn or the new heights they were able to push themselves to or that I was able to help push them to while they're working at Glossier – is going to make them at the end of the day like, wow, I'm pretty impressed with myself, you know? Like, mm-hmm. whoa, I really, yes. I really pushed it, and I was pushed, and I really created, you know, great work. And ultimately, that's what matters, not how much Emily likes you yes. or
0: not. It's so true. I f- I just find that really helpful, like as a just as gen- a genuine personal question, because I think um, we can sometimes fall into the trap of just being like, work and play can merge. Mm. a bit Mm -hmm. and sometimes it can be like is this business or is this like are you my friend or like what's going on here and having that boundary is really important I think yeah I mean what the goal is
1: Yeah, but I I mean every company is different there's people who work who do work at really small companies with four or five people like you know if I weren't doing this maybe I would run a flower shop and there would be one location and I'd work with like four people every day and that might feel more like family Yes. or you know more so I think every every workplace is different and every job is you know Every type of work is different and
0: requires like different ways of interacting with people. And um, another thing I wrote down that I I, I think you said, I'm pretty sure you said it because I've always thought um, that you have. And I think it was a quote, but you had said, um, question everything and in terms of making decisions with your company. And I really took that on in terms of, you know, when people like bring you ideas or they're like, maybe you could do this or maybe you could do that. And I'm sure people constantly suggest things to you. And um, I just love that. That sort of reflectiveness of like, no, I'm really going to think about this before I agree to do it. And just questioning absolutely everything, getting to the bottom of it. I think it's important. I mean, you know, a lot of people – listen, It's it's been a really big
1: year for us. And I'm so excited about where we're at. We have millions of customers we just raised in March of this year of 2019 – million to continue to build Glossier um, and bring it, you know, more places in the world and and to more people. And in that raise, we got um, like a $1.2 billion valuation. And a lot of people say, oh, my God, congratulations. And, you know, you know, you guys, there's this sense of like, oh, you guys made it. And while I'm very proud of the things that we've done so far and that that we've built so far. I also still believe that this is like the very beginning you know and that um so we we hopefully are going to continue to create so many more years and decades of incredible innovation and work. And and um, and so I don't like to rest on, you know, the past and sort of rest on our laurels and think, oh, every decision that, that we're going to make is just going to be great. And, you know, it's things are here we are just in this. It's like, no, you really have to think about what's next and the world is, is moving so fast, whether it's social, especially with social media and with technology, that it's really important to think, you know, well, how is this decision going to work over time? It might be great now. But how long will it last? You know, um, what are the limitations? Um, and, and really be thoughtful about it.
0: Yeah, and congratulations on your time cover. Thank you. You look incredible. <laughs> I know it's you. about more than that and about your brain, but you do look <laughs> really good. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Very you. Very exciting. Thank you. So I haven't even mentioned why you're in London. Should we talk about? While you'll hit. Yeah, yeah. We launched in the
1: U.S. in 2014, so five years ago. We launched in London, I want to say, two years ago. So, you know, a little bit more recently. It's our second biggest market after the U.S., Um, and I I love it here. I mean, I love the sensibility. I love, you know, the the girls here, and um, we love it here. Oh, good. I'm really excited that we just opened uh, a pop-up store. Um, It's open now through uh, the first week of February. It's in Covent Garden on Floral Street, and we were very inspired by English social clubs, so sort of like and, and a lot of like English design. So, a lot of pattern. We actually, um, our creative team who, who comes up with all of the bonkers ideas for, for all the different pop ups in the different cities, hand drew a wow. um, like a custom sort of wallpaper print and then completely dipped this whole space. In this print in all different colors. So every room you go into is like this explosion of like floor to ceiling, carpet, wallpaper, drapes, this like glossier chintz in all different colors. So every room you go from like yellow to blue to red. And it's actually amazing. I went yesterday for the first time. You actually get sort of a weird kind of it does something to your brain like there's something very trippy about switching through the colors like one room gives you a lot of energy whereas another room is makes you sort of more like feels more sensual or sort of more quiet like the blue room feels kind of more quiet and cool and then you go into the yellow room and you're like super energized
0: i'm so excited Um, to go so it's a
1: really really great experience and uh just really excited to bring people together you know offline here in in london
0: it's amazing everyone listening you must go and (laughs) like we said said, you know, it's an experience and you'll have fun and I just cannot wait I mean did you f- just did you find that when you first launched did people in the UK just pay loads of money for shipping
1: we c- we didn't ship so part part of the uh, issue with being um, there's a lot of great things about being choosing to be direct to consumer one of the not so great things is it just takes a lot of investment for a, for a new company to build the infrastructure to ship you right. know I uh, think
0: I got my friend to ship it to me ex- that's what ex- happened exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a Very lot exciting. of people
1: who all over the world you know we don't we don't ship for example to asia yet and we have someone from asia direct messaged me and said i just went to a fake glossier pop up <laughs> in a hotel room in singapore where people like basically brought loads of suitcases of glossier back oh, from the us my God. and then set up a like sale a glossier sale i was like should i be mad about that and on the other hand i was like i'm not this is great like it's like we we will find a way (laughs) i love this um and so uh yeah so we do it's super easy now to buy in the uk yeah from glossier.com it's like super fast shipping
0: there's no delays it's like a really great end-to-end experience yes totally and in time for christmas yeah um my final question really really quickly um I love following your Instagram. I know that you recently went to Iceland, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really want to go there. How do you switch off from all of all of everything?
1: I kind of go, I feel like my kind of general process is one that probably is akin to more of an artist than a maybe traditional CEO. So I tend to go through kind of bursts of like a couple weeks being very creative, being very engaged, um, getting a lot of things kind of off the ground or kind of up and running. And then I tend to for a couple weeks be a little bit more like introverted, a little bit more like just heads down working on a lot of the things that like were kicked Mm -hmm. off with the team. And that's not a total, you know, science, but that's a little bit the way that I that I find now that now in my ripe age of thirty four, after having done this for almost ten years, that's a little bit of how I think about how I work, and so I need those moments of kind of rest and recovery. I wouldn't call it switching off, but it's just a little bit more. Like for example, for the last two weeks, I've I've been in San Francisco speaking at All Raise, which is a, a women's um, conference promoting the investment. Uh, ecosystem. So investing in more women and promoting female founders. Um, I was speaking in New York at a bunch of things and working a lot with the team on uh, plans for Black Friday weekend, which is our um, basically only sale of the year wow. with uh, 20% off on Glossier.com, getting that ready, coming to London to open the store. So tons of travel, tons of work. And then after this two weeks uh, tomorrow, I'm just going to go home and mm-hmm. <laughs> go to the office every day and just
0: relax and put on my sneakers and just go to work. I love that that yeah because you know nothing really good can happen from being always 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 totally. on and that's a great great way to do it thank you so much for today thank um, you i'm so honored to have you on honestly thank you so much thank you so so much thank you it's been a pleasure